Hey, welcome back to Ignitecast, the official podcast of the Ignite Leadership Conference from the Community Development Foundation here in Tupelo, Mississippi. I'm Rory Tyre, and I'm actually flying solo today. My co-host, Judd Wilson, uh, was not able to be here for this interview. And I'm very excited to be interviewing a colleague of mine named Alex Lang. He and his family actually currently live in Mumbai, India, though they're from the States originally. Alex uh, is a coach who's working on getting professionally certified as a coach. He also has a lot of really interesting experience, obviously living cross-culturally, being in Mumbai. And right now, as we're recording this, COVID is absolutely raging across India. India and they've entered a new round of lockdowns and it's a, a very tragic situation. And so today we're going to get to hear from Alex about what coaching can do for people, his experiences developing leaders in various contexts, and then also kind of a firsthand on the ground perspective on what life is like in the midst of this pandemic. So Alex, thank you so much for being here with me today. Hey, thanks so much. I'm excited for this. All right. So Alex, just to start off, you're in the middle of coaching training. Um, maybe let's pull back the curtain a little bit. Why did it matter to you to get trained as a coach? That is a great question. I feel like a lot of people just ask more of the details of coaching. And I think the reason why is why I love it. Hmm. So I actually had in a former life almost I had a different career. I was in the medical field and doing surgery. And I did that because I wanted to impact people. And I thought yeah. helping their physical needs, their ailments during surgery is the way for it. And as I got a little bit dissatisfied with the system, I got a little bit frustrated with big mm. corporations that said they're helping people and didn't seem to. And then the interactions, I found the ICU work really significant to me. And mm. I found a lot of times we missed really significant moments in people's lives. Mm. So patients would be needing something about their being and their personhood addressed. And we were always addressing it with information. Mm. And so I became more and more dissatisfied with that world. I love the ICU aspect, which a lot of people don't care for the intensive care part, but I love seeing a really intense moment in people's lives where their life can be transformed. Yeah, no kidding. And then as the years went on, I kind of shifted careers a little bit nonprofit. And in that nonprofit, a CEO was leading in a unique way I'd never seen. And I brought that up to somebody. So he said, you know, he's just coaching you. That's what he's doing. And I had never heard the term coaching outside of sports before then. And that's what actually led me into the coaching realm. Because I thought there's a way that you can address and give people freedom to run. You can help. You can catalyze them to change who they are, how they see the world, and empower them to be different. And so that kind of started me on the route towards coaching. Okay. And I feel like it's been a great journey since then. Wait, so you're telling me that our healthcare system is kind of broken and doesn't do, do great at treating the whole person? <laughs> I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. So. Uh, so you, you discerned a distinct difference in this leader's approach when he operated a mode that was described as coaching. And I, I mean, I'm like mm -hmm. you, so I got trained as a coach. We went through the same program. I'm just a little mm -hmm. few steps ahead of you. Cause right now you're working on getting, um, hours. So to get a certification from the international coaching federation, which is the right. largest accrediting body uh, in the world for coaches, you know, you have to get a hundred coaching hours. And I know you're, mm -hmm. we'll talk more about what that looks like, but um, how would you describe the difference that a coaching approach to leadership made for you and that you've seen it make since then? Well, that was the interesting thing is when this leader was coaching me and the other people around me, they came up because people were frustrated with him. They just wanted to tell us what to do. You're mm -hmm. the CEO, give us directions, give us orders. And instead he would ask our opinions, seek our, what we're be motivating us to do the things we're doing, ask why. And he wouldn't give direct top-down orders, mm. which was really frustrating for some people. And it was really intriguing for me because I'd never seen somebody lead an organization or company with such an empowering way of lead, leading. Yeah. And the most amazing thing to me was over a couple of years, I saw 
dramatic growth and change in people around me and myself, I hope too, because of his style of leading and because of his coaching and the conversations that he did. And that's what really set me on this route to say there's a different way to interact with people where you can really recognize and honor them as a human and not treat them like something that you can direct and just tell what to do to get the best results. from. Yeah. Yeah. And just in case you're listening to this, you, you'll notice Alex's audio changed a little bit. We had some technical difficulties. He had to switch to the mic that he's using, but um, I can still hear you. All right. So let me highlight something you just said. So treating people more like a human, there's something very human about, I think, wanting to collaborate and, and not just be told what to do, but to have agency. Right. And, and when as and when someone uses a position of authority to deny others agency and just sort of hand them, here's here's what you're supposed to do. It is a little bit dehumanizing. And what I'm hearing you say is watching a CEO lead like that, uh, lead opposite of that. Right. Where you actually so the opposite of dehumanizing yeah. in this sense is empowering. Uh, and and that is a huge measure of coaching where you're asking questions and leading in such a way that uh, others are empowered to step in. And um, yeah, I mean, I, you and I, we both are biased towards this approach to leadership. But I, I like that your example you're pointing out is the first time you saw this wasn't actually from someone who was a professional coach, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? Like it was actually a CEO running an organization, taking a coaching approach And, um, you know, yeah, like you, I didn't know a whole lot about what coaching was. I thought it was just an athletic term before getting into it. And I think, uh, on this side of where I am and now where you're going, we can see the difference that it makes in even the people we've gotten to coach when they approach their lives with coaching skills. You don't have to be a coach to to use coaching skills. You Mm -hmm. can just, it's a set of skills, right? So let's talk about those skills for a moment. When you think about coaching, what are some of the skills that you're finding yourself having to practice as you've been trained and now as you're working on getting your hours? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, the biggest, if you could call it a skill or an attribute is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've noticed in my own life, I hope other people around me have noticed too, is I tend to suspend my judgment in a situation mm. and not come in with what I think is the first answer, but instead find out more about it. So yeah. in coaching, I get to let my clients do that work and That's I get right. to be on for the ride and ask the questions. But I've noticed when it happens on the rest of my world, it's actually let my relationships flourish a lot more. Even my small children, instead of assuming and coming in as the expert because I am their father, instead I can spend a few extra minutes and it transforms our relationship. So I think for me, curiosity is the biggest one. You can learn all the right terms and right phrases. But when you have a mindset of curiosity of, I want to see this other human do well and what yeah. else is going on, where can they go from here? To me, that's the biggest skill, um, the biggest discipline I would say to learn. Yeah, man. Okay. So, so you and your wife, speaking of curiosity, you and your wife, Erin, and your kids mm-hmm. moved to Mumbai. Has it been two years now? Year and a half? A year and a half. You experienced the first round of lockdowns. You guys were inside for like a year. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors laugh at us because they say, like, you've been here a year and a half, but you've only been out in the city for about a month or two. <laughs> yeah, the timing is just crazy. So, you know, and now you're back under another lockdown, you know, because the, the, the mm-hmm. restrictions were a little bit. And of course, COVID is just skyrocketing there. So I'm, you know, applying this lens of curiosity and listening. I would love to just hear from you. How are you experiencing that as an expat in particular? Um, and, and what are you seeing around you? It's really interesting. So one thing being an expat, people do with you as almost like a consultant because Mm. you're an outside view. So they're almost quicker to speak about what's going on. What do you see in our country? How does it compare to elsewhere in the world? 
I also hear a lot more about global opinions about the U.S. in this last year as well. Yeah. So as an expat, it's very weird. You, you tend to feel isolated when you move overseas anyway. You're experiencing new cultures. You can feel a little bit of disorientation because all the normal landmarks in your life, the signposts telling you where to go, what to do, how to react, have disappeared. Yeah. And then you compound that with not having even close community of neighbors that you know will take you in and give you some pointers, lead the way. So we were trying to figure out the typical things of where do we get groceries at the same time, everybody around us was trying to figure out how do we get groceries now? Yeah. We can't go the way that we've done it our whole lives. So it's been a really unique experience. We expected more culture shock and instead we've had a new type of culture shock because we didn't get the one we expected. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the principles that have helped you all learn to navigate a different culture well? Because I think some of these principles, you know, we're all, we're familiar with the language of emotional intelligence, and there's um, the mm-hmm. other side of that coin is cultural intelligence, which is similar, but specifically how people navigate different cultures. Yeah. And this is something that um, is necessary. You don't have to move overseas to require cultural intelligence. It can be just get, you know, getting a new job and learning to navigate what's the culture here, what are the stated and unstated norms. Um, so I wonder what are some of the principles that might be more broadly applicable that you found yourselves mm-hmm. having to intentionally practice to, to try and flourish in a new culture? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think the cultural lens, we get a pretty dramatic difference just because of our move overseas. Right. But it's actually helped with things that are closer where we start to realize these are cultures of my own values I have. My family, maybe my wife's are a little bit different. Somebody outside our state is even more different. And start to say, well, we give a certain amount of grace and space for somebody in a different culture that looks different, talks different, and has a different background. Why can't I do that? to somebody who lives down the street from me in the U S so that idea of giving space for somebody to have a different set of values that are different and not necessarily better or worse. Yeah. Has, has let us, I think do better than it would be if we held tightly to our beliefs. A lot of it comes down to our value system and what our personal values are, our families. But one tool that we've used is we've looked at saying, typically we see a spectrum and it's like, my view is right and everything else is wrong. And occasionally we have a small amount lot that's a little bit different if it's similar to mine. And so we've been trying to expand that middle segment of the difference and say that there's a lot of value differences that can even be beautiful and good. Mm. When somebody's bringing something to a situation I don't understand, I can't throw it in the wrong category. I have to either say it's different, it may be good, mine might be the one that's different. And so having that mm. lens to say, what values is this person honoring in this situation, even though I'm really frustrated? Oh, that's, that's, that's so helpful. So I... Um, you know, recently you and I, I think, you know, Steve Beck, he, um, is a conflict mm-hmm. resolution guy that's worked with us. And there's an interview with him that will, will be up in the podcast. It's, it's probably been up by the time we've had this conversation. Uh, and he, um, this idea of suspending judgment and putting a question mark on your own narrative rather than totalizing it and assuming that it's the only right narrative. Um, it's a crucial ingredient in conflict resolution. Cause I, I basically asked him like, mm-hmm. what are the things that people do that make it a lot harder to resolve conflict? And what I'm hearing you say yeah. is these are the blocks that are in our minds that make it harder to navigate any kind of cultural difference is when we perceive difference and we automatically assign a judgment, like a value judgment mm-hmm. to that difference when in reality mm-hmm. it may just be different. And that requires both hand thinking, you know, rather than just either or, yeah. well, there, there must, there must be one right answer in this situation. And you and I agree in some situations there are right and wrong answers. Like I think we're we, either or thinking has value, but when you're working cross-culturally uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. And um, mm-hmm. 
I'm wondering, I mean, do you have any anecdotes of maybe specific situations that, uh, that you guys have had to navigate in this way? I probably have about a year and a half worth of those. <laughs> so a lot of times we just have to pause and say, there's actually a situation that got pretty stressful for about two months for us. And I finally, one day I just had to say, what values is this gentleman bringing that I'm not realizing? Mm-hmm. And so I spent a morning and reset my framework and said, what are all the values? He's from a different generation. He's from a different country. He's a different professional background. And said, what value does he bring in? How can I honor him as a human with those values and ignore the values that I'm bringing Mm. just for a minute? And writing him a letter in that sense transformed our relationship. Now, he sends me text messages with happy face emojis in it, which would never have happened before. (laughs) But when I think of a pretty concrete example, the employment here sometimes seems to me and my American efficiency mindset seems ridiculous. You could hire one person to do that job. Why would you hire six? And that happens over and over. Sometimes you'll say, why are there 30 people working here when one or two people could do it? Hmm. And instead in talking and asking and finding out from our neighbors, a common refrain we hear from them is those people need jobs. Why couldn't we provide them with jobs? We'd be saving a few dollars in the long run, but we're providing 15, 20, 30 people with jobs to care for their families. So that value transforms how you see. In the U.S., we always complain if you see a few people standing around and one or two people working. And instead, here it transforms that suddenly they're valuing caring for your family. And that's a value I have as well. And so that's an example of me saying, wait, what are we upset about trying to suspend our judgment? That one was a little bit easier because they said it to us directly, several people. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a lot more challenging if the value is unstated, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what you demonstrated and what I'm, what I'm going to pull out is this process of, of asking questions and genuinely asking questions mm-hmm. from a place of curiosity and learning rather than, um, you know, from a place of trying to prove someone wrong or trying to prove that you're right. And then, and then you were blessed in a situation where people were able to put those values on the table right. candidly. And sometimes it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what else are you seeing around you in terms of the pandemic? I mean, some of the news stories I'm seeing right now are just horrific. Uh, and I'm, I'm connected to a lot, several people in different parts of India. And I feel like every other day they're saying someone we know personally has died. So, um, yeah, just what else are you seeing? Again, I, I probably am overemphasizing values right now. That's been something I'm thinking a lot about, asking a lot of questions lately. Is when people are put in a pressure situation, like this has been high anxiety for about a year and a half here in the country and about the time it started to plateau or dip it rose up dramatically yeah and so you start to see what values are important to people when they're under pressure so Mm. there's massive text message groups here and so when people will ask questions have needs that they're expressing in that group of several hundred people you get to see values a little bit more clearly than you might in a calmer setting you can kind of put the values people want to see out. And then when you're under pressure, suddenly your true values come out. Absolutely. And so yeah. This is like a human universal. I just want to pause on that. Cause that's such an important thing to say that there's, it's mm-hmm. one thing to say, here's the values poster for my life, so to speak, or for this company. But when the pressure is on that tends to reveal the truth. So yeah, go on. Yeah. And I've noticed that in my own life, I'll claim a certain value. Um, this is one of my core values and I'll hold on to it for a few years. And then when I'm under stress, when I need to do something important, suddenly I realize that that's not a filter that I'm measuring my life through and I'm not processing through. It may not be a real value for me. Mm. And so we've seen that as people discuss what's worrisome for them, where they're stressed about the outcomes of the pandemic, um, you definitely see real values come out. 
Mm. You get to see how people fall back on maybe older cultural values that mm. are deeply ingrained rather than what they learned in school or what their work has been laying over for the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we certainly see that here in the States, which I know you experienced because you were here uh, while the pandemic was happening mm. here, where the various stresses and and around divisions about things like masks, as an example, yeah. have brought out, you know, a lot of things. And I think a lot of people have had the experience of seeing people they thought they knew through a new lens uh, yeah. because of the way that a pressure cooker situation revealed some things about who they mm-hmm. were. I mean, I wonder, I know you have, you have spent a lot of time thinking about your own personal development, self-awareness. I think that's the kind of person you are. And I think if, you know, if your experience with coaching training has been anything like mine, that just pushes that, you know, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. I wonder what are the things that help you be more consistent so that the person that comes out under pressure is more of the person like who's in alignment with who you'd like to be? I love that question. I may not have a direct answer. That's something I've thought about a lot mm. is wearing where my life is forming some of my values and where my values are forming my life. And so I think there's definitely an interplay between those two things. Yeah. But I've found for me taking time to reflect, I'm a fast driven person a lot of times, so yeah. I don't slow down as much. So actually reflecting and going a couple steps in, but why, why did I feel that? And not just leaving it the first response has helped me see what really feels offended yeah. or what, what value is being suppressed by a situation I'm frustrated in. Or if I have a successful situation, I feel elated, then I can actually say what value is that behind mm. there. Yeah. So that's really helped me in the first step. And then I think secondly, is I have to go to people that are in community. My wife would be the number one person, friends to get a little bit of feedback and say, yeah. does this resonate? Does this seem true? If I say this about myself, when have you seen this not true? Yeah. If you see me acting this way, is that out of line with my character? And so I think for me, first is just the reflection, the self-awareness that that brings out. Yeah. And then coaching training has really helped me over the last couple of years to start actually doing self-coaching when I don't have a coach in a given week. Um, I have several that are coaching me, but say, what, if I was coaching myself, what would I ask here? How would I process that? What values underneath it? I say values a lot because I've noticed a lot of the clients that I coach, they have values, they feel them strongly, but they can't define them. Yeah. And when I've been able to say, what value are you honoring? That's a really difficult conversation. It actually leads to several conversations usually. Yeah. And so then I started asking out of myself, like, can I define that that well? What does it look like? Let's say someone's listening to this and they're um, a manager, like a mid-level leader in some capacity, or maybe they're a business mm-hmm. owner or something like that. And they think, yeah, I like this idea of a coaching approach to leadership. Where should I start? What would you say? I think two pieces. One, think about curiosity. How can you be curious instead of either demanding as a leader or dictating as a leader and just mm-hmm. top down? And the second is I have a coaching conversation with a coach, somebody who's trained as a professional coach and see the difference it makes. Um, and that doesn't need to be at first a lengthy conversation. That can be one coaching session. I don't know if you remember, Rory, a couple of years ago, we had a phone call and our actual plan got derailed. So you said, hey, let's do a quick coaching session. Um, and so we had, I think it was only like maybe a 20 minute conversation mm. and it was really impactful for me. And I don't even know if you remember that conversation, but it was really helpful to say, I'm so glad to hear this. I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really exciting for me to say, Hey, like, I know Rory as a colleague, I can see him work in front of a classroom as a facilitator, I, your podcast. I know you on video. I know you as a friend, but then to know you as a role of a coach is really fun to say, Hey, this is an excellent fit. 
and to have a short conversation to walk away with. I still think back to some of the conversation. It was really helpful for me. Uh, I'm so glad. Well, and so, I mean, really, I feel like I almost can't take credit for that. The, the point is that coaching as a method tends to produce results. Mm-hmm. You know, when you lean yeah. into your, this, these competencies of, of deep listening, asking powerful mm-hmm. open-ended questions, making observations that where you're, you're observing and commenting and rather than like telling somebody what to do, anybody, these are skills that anyone yeah. can practice. I think some of us, I'd include mm-hmm. you in this category, have an intuitive coaching presence that we can build on and that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But even if someone is listening to this and they don't feel like they have that, that's okay. These are skills that you can practice. And just by nature of how adults learn and process information, it's likely going to be uh, more helpful. And, and it's going to give the people that Mm -hmm. work for you or with you probably a better experience because people really enjoy being asked questions. They enjoy getting to lay out mm-hmm. what they think and having to come up with solutions in their own for the most part. Obviously there's some situations, including crisis situations where decisions need to take less time and they're more urgent. And, and maybe there is one person that has very specific knowledge that just needs to be listened to because they really are an expert. Um, but I think a lot of times we let others wear that hat or want others to wear that hat because it's kind of reassuring when really we need to be unsettled a little bit. We need to have our mental models mm-hmm stretched and challenged. Um, and that will be better for us in the long run to help us to grow. And you said something earlier Mm -hmm. too, about how it's affected your parenting. And this is something I've thought a lot about, you know, my oldest is three and a half at the time of this recording. And, um, she's getting to the point now, or I can even now, or I can see she really benefits from me talking her through stuff rather than just, Mm -hmm. I I want to constantly tell her what to do because Mm -hmm. I get, I want to control, right? This is the the mm-hmm. terrible thing about being a parent is you kind of want to control outcomes, but you have to realize you need to let your child yeah. um, to a certain extent, figure things out and, and figure out how to reason and think. And anyways, I just, that I, I resonate with that as a, as a parent mm-hmm. who also is a coach, seeing how it's affected yeah. my, my, my relationships in that light. So um, anything else that yeah. you'd say to somebody that wants to practice this kind of thing in, in like a work context? Yeah. On the parenting note, it makes me think of a quote that I heard and I've thought about a lot in my life and I've talked about it as if we're trying to parent people to be adults, to be humans in the world. Mm. So we're not trying to parent somebody to remain. My daughters are four and six. We don't want to parent them to be a four-year-old the rest of their life. I'm trying to expand them to grow. And I want them to be more amazing as a human than I am so that I'm astounded each year that goes by of the things that they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're processing, how they're interacting with other people. And that's worth spending that extra time. Yeah. Although my default mode is to tell you what to do because I know the answer and I'm the parent. Yeah. But I think your question was about in the workplace, how kind of the first steps, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think too, a couple questions that come up to mind and I've tried to use these, tried to hand them to other people and I found that they're pretty helpful. It's just simply ask people what they mean. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And that is a good launching point for any conversation to let the other person really express the context they're coming from. Yeah. Their expectations on the conversation, what they mean by terms. I think we speak in terms and words a lot more than we do definitions and we should speak in definitions more. Mm. So we can rattle off cultural values, but we're not talking about what they mean. So you might say family is a core value for you. And I say family is a core value for me. And if we don't define that, we think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. And, and something else that comes to mind, um, as we start winding down the conversation, you know, there's a, with the, with the prolif, so a couple things have proliferated in the past five to 10 years. So obviously, um, internet and connectedness uh, has just blown mm-hmm. up all around the world. Um, uh, and the ability to, 
set up and market yourself as anything you want to without having to go through institutional gatekeepers has in many, many, many different sectors totally upended a lot of things about marketing and about sales and about um, institutional credibility in some ways. So specifically in our world of coaching, you know, you and I, yeah. we value being certified by the International Coaching Federation, mm -hmm. largest global accrediting body for coaches, lots of great resources, pretty rigorous code of ethics that we get tested on and have to actually submit a recorded conversation to be yeah. graded if you want to, if you want to receive any of your certifications. I wonder if you could speak to um, what, it, why is it valuable to you to go that route because you don't yeah. need to, to call yourself a coach. There's nobody that's going to uh, yeah. shut you down if you set up shop and call yourself a coach and when in reality, what you're doing isn't even coaching, right? So why, why mm -hmm. I have my own thoughts on this, but I want to hear from you. Why, yeah. why was it valuable to you to do that? Yeah, I think as an analogy, when I worked in the medical field. You can't call yourself a neurosurgeon and not be highly trained and have yeah. a highly specialized set of skills for it. You can call yourself a coach without any credentialing, any verification of who you are, what your skill sets are. So I think of the bar and coaching entryway as a very low threshold. Anybody yeah. can do it in a few minutes and then that's their title. Yeah. But I think to do it excellently, if you want to empower people, you need to be held to a really high standard. Yeah. And so ICF has the highest standards that there are, the most rigorous training and testing. So for me, two reasons. One is the people that I saw that did a good job of coaching had all gone that route. And so yeah. watching other people that were well-trained and effective as coaches, I want yeah. to follow in their footsteps. And secondly, because if I say I'm credentialed one way, it says something about my professionalism. It says something about my skill set, And then it puts me in alignment with other people saying, if we're going to call ourselves coaches, we should treat people certain ways. We should empower people certain ways so that there becomes prestige probably isn't the right word, but there becomes a qualification people say, I know what you're talking about when you say that. Here's what yeah. coaches can do and help people with. Here's how people can change and grow using a coach rather than do whatever you want and call it coaching. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes it's the same way as music, like everybody can be a musical artist now because they have a little bit of equipment in their room. Yeah. But the people who spend time, time training and studying art and music produce more beautiful things yeah. than somebody who just calls themselves that up front. You know, and something else that comes to mind that I haven't, we haven't made explicit yet is the kinds of results that are possible from truly effective coaching. You know, we've been talking mm -hmm. about it, but mm -hmm. I wonder if you could relate to me, some of the results that you've been able to see in people you've worked, just the people you've worked with so far. Oh, wow. um, uh, and, and I guess you could also include results that you've seen in yourself. Uh, from effective mm -hmm. coaching? Because I think at the end of the day, that's what yeah. matters to people, right? Is what can actually be accomplished. So what have you seen? Yeah, I'll start with the personal side. I actually retook an assessment of looking at myself and I get a considerable amount of printout of results. I had a coach walk me through it. And the difference over the last several years in my, my taking it was pretty dramatic. And mm. the coach himself pointed out to me, he said, you know why there's this big difference in a couple of areas? He said, it's because you've been training your mind to work as a coach. So one of the outcomes of both being coached and coaching is I actually can see now on paper that my mind is looking at the world differently. So the way I'm interacting with other people has changed. So that's a personal outcome. And I'm thrilled to see the growth in that, that and maybe, a few areas. I'd love to hear even let's fine tune that. In what ways have, have you noticed that change? Yeah. So hopefully my family could also resonate with this, that I've interacted with them differently. Mm. Um, so a lot of them were around the idea of curiosity and asking questions, even yeah. seeking support from other people mm. are all areas that I've grown in. And those are areas that 
were lower on the scale for me before. So saying okay. I'll intellectually say I need support from other people, but I don't actually seek it. And yeah. actually saying, yeah. I want to be coached. I want someone to help move me through these transitions. So my life actually looks different because of it. Okay. It's always amazed me that a good process of coaching and having the tools and the skill sets of a coach and coming with that mindset produces good results. It's mm-hmm. not just a happy conversation that people walk away from. So I've even had early on a few times I thought this conversation didn't go how I thought it was. Did the person benefit at all? And then it was really transformative for them. So one of my yeah. first clients, actually an early conversation that I thought got derailed, wasn't helpful, but I just stuck by the tools that I knew that's actually transformed his life. So he sees his work differently. Um, this has especially been during the pandemic it got really difficult. And so now he sees his work differently because he's able to integrate the job that he's doing on a daily basis with his core values and what brings him life and excitement and joy. And so he's been able to transform how he shows up at work, how he shows up as a team lead because of our conversation. And that for me was early on. So it was a shock as a new coach to say, it really works the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, So that's been one of my favorite is to see that his daily life and you know, it goes months now that I don't hear from him, maybe that his daily life is different because of the coaching conversation that we had. Man, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That was the thing that resonated most with me from my training was, you know, we had, you know, you remember you have all these practice coaching conversations that are like eight minutes long and going into it. My first one, I thought, okay, this, I I sort of feel like I'm playing a game. Like I've got to sort of act like I'm Mm -hmm. coaching or act like I'm being coached. And the reality was, like there was a specific conversation that brought me to tears. It was about something in my personal life that, you know, came to mm-hmm. mind that I was like, sure, let's put this on the table for coaching. And the, the woman I happened to be paired with was just, she was already a very good coach. And um, so the, my point is a lot of times we overestimate what telling someone something can do in a single conversation. And mm-hmm. we underestimate what asking someone some questions in one conversation can do. And, um, I like you, I'm very grateful that, uh, being trained and practicing as a coach has helped to dial up those parts of me yeah. that are just more helpful for those. Cause I am naturally a person that is comfortable being in the spotlight, comfortable, you know, in that teaching mm-hmm. or expert mode. And there's a few times where that's helpful, but, uh, you know, if for the most part playing back up the coaching side of me has benefited personally and professionally, and I think mm-hmm. you would agree. So, well, Roy, I'd like to know where you've seen coaching change your personal relationships. If you coach family members or use coaching skills in conversation. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it's like, it starts with me and then I see the effects in relationships with others. And so when mm-hmm. I think of coaching where it starts with me, um, better boundaries actually. So recognizing that I'm not mm-hmm. the one who's responsible for being control of other people's outcomes. Um, even if I'm emotionally invested in an outcome for someone else, I think coaching has helped me to recognize that I have to decouple that emotional investment from a sense of, uh, of control or even of responsibility in some yeah. cases. And that frees me, I think, to be like a better person, a better friend, uh, because so often we subtly try to manipulate others because we believe we know what's best for them. And spiritually, mm-hmm. that's been really good for me. It's it's helped me to, yeah. you know, again, theologically, you and I share the same faith. We're Christians. And so we we would say we believe that relying on the Holy Spirit is an important moment-to-moment discipline for Christians. And it sometimes can be hard to know mm-hmm. what that actually means or looks like in practice. And one way that that's become clear to me is as I let go of being responsible for these outcomes, I'm intentionally yeah. redirecting the energy and saying, God is the one who's in control. I'm not. And that's been very freeing. 
Um, it's equipped me to, to better deal with uncertainty. Uh, in some cases, it's helped me be a more patient person. And so then as I think about impact on others, um, you know, in just so many ways, so professionally in business development relationships, you know, I, we mm-hmm. do leadership consulting. So I'm helping people design and, and implement leadership development solutions for their teams, let's say. And going into that, I am uh, much better able to help them say in their own words what their problem actually is and what they need. Mm-hmm. And when I set them up to be the expert in their own issues, and yeah. then I come alongside and try to help them be better at what they're already doing, rather than trying to tell them what they should do, it allows me to work with lots of people that, where I, you know, I don't have any experience in beverage manufacturing, uh, you know, but but I can, or um, yeah. you know, like a bottle filling facility, but we can work with them, which you were with me on mm-hmm. at one of those engagements, or we can work with yeah. people like that because we're helping them be the experts in their own life, and so, yeah. and then personally. Um, I, you know, just friendships, I've been able to ask people better questions because I'm more attuned mm-hmm. to, to wanting to be curious and, and helping them. And, um, and then, you know, with, with my spouse, with Heather, you know, I've realized it's actually been very helpful because with Heather, it was easy for me to try and ask more questions and to bring things out. But what I've learned is that sometimes I'm asking my questions from a place of, uh, my bias is that she should be trying to find a solution. And so I'm, yeah. I'm not telling her what to do. I'm asking questions. But the reality is that it's still coming from a biased place of trying to push her mm-hmm. towards a solution. And she can tell. <laughs> so, uh, yep. so I've, you know, I've learned to ask permission before even trying to, do, to coach at all. But the reality, the other thing is, it's one thing to ask questions because you think someone should have a solution. It's another thing to ask questions just because you're genuinely curious and and because you yeah. want to know the person, you want to be changed by that person. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's a very fine tuned mm-hmm. distinction that, um, you know, in a lot of coaching relationships, I can get away with asking questions because I'm biased towards a solution because in, in almost all cases, there is a solution that needs to be found. And, um, but that's dangerous because then you start, you know, you, you start using right. less deep listening, less intuition. And you, again, you, you think that you figured out what the person needs and now you're just trying to help them get there. And that's not the best coaching. And so, um, with Heather, it's very personal and immediate if I'm doing that. And so it's helped me to try to discern like when, when my mindset is right. in one area versus the other, and then I can be more cognizant mm-hmm. of that when I'm coaching with other people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, there's a lot yeah. of areas in my life that need to be transformed more by this, as I'm sure you would agree. Mm-hmm. And I know with the like parenting, you know, a few things can push your buttons as easily as trying to parent your child. And this is yeah. just, it's like something you don't know until you know, you know, I mean, you just, until you've experienced <laughs> it. So, you know, I, I pray regularly to like lean more into these skills over time, especially yeah. as my daughters, you know, become teenagers when stereotypically the buttons just, the button pushing goes to a whole new level, right? I don't think that's inevitable, but so yeah. often it happens. So yeah. thank you for asking me that. That's just a few of my yeah. own reflections. I think that's funny because in coaching, one of the reasons I love coaching is it's an adventure. And what I mean, that is a challenge and it's fun. And I think changing that lens, even on parenting, to think about the adventure of parenting. Oh, yeah, that's so helpful. Think about the responsibility side. Yeah. And then I think with our spouses, too, that's a good way to think of this conversation is I don't know where it's going. So I'm asking you questions to get to my end and the solution that I think you should come to. Yeah, it is so freeing to let go of the responsibility to try and control outcomes. Um, and, and that, that doesn't mean becoming passive or, or not recognizing the ways right. in which you might be influencing outcomes, but that is different from trying to control 
uh, and, and manage mm-hmm. other people's outcomes. And so, yeah, it's just been very freeing. All right. So as we bring this episode of Ignite Cast to an end, uh, have some reflection questions for you. First, what relationship in your life could benefit from you taking a more coach approach to that relationship? So dialing up the curiosity, dialing up the question asking, uh, and trying to dial back maybe the, uh, the judgment calls that you might make or dial back the telling in favor of more asking. Uh, and a great book by this is called The Coaching Habit. So if you're in any kind of leadership role, relationship role, The Coaching Habit is um, a great read on how to make coaching more of a habit, uh, especially if you're, you're just, you're not a professional coach, you're just living life and working. Um, so that's one question is what relate, can you think of a specific relationship that could benefit from dialing that up. And a second question might be, you know, you heard Alex talk a lot about how much he's benefited in growing in self-awareness through coaching. And who in your life do you need to go to and ask for feedback? And ask them, how have you been experiencing me lately? Have you noticed my emotions getting the better of me? Uh, And in what context? Can you be candid with me? Because we can't really grow without that information. Uh, And so, yeah, and if you need a coach, both Alex and I are coaches and uh, Alex is working in his hours. So Alex, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they may actually be interested in getting coached by you? Yeah, either Alex Lang on LinkedIn or A Lang, that's A-L-A-N-G-E at goinnovation.com. Either one's great. Alex, I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate you as a friend and as a co-laborer in this work of trying to help humans grow. Uh, Thank you for being part of this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.